welcome to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, MovieSharkDeBlur.com, film critic, moderator, and creator and host of Behind the Lens. For those of you that are just joining us for the first time, um, we do live interviews with talent. We go behind the lens and below the line. Also talk to a lot of actors in front of the camera as well, as we're going to do today with one of our guests, Jamie Ray Newman, um, which is a real treat to have Jamie. She's in a new film that is uh, just com- that is coming out called Altered Minds, uh, written and directed by Michael Wexler. But a lot of you, Jamie's a very familiar face on the TV on the TV circuit to so many. And for all you General Hospital fans out there, you know how much we love General Hospital here at Behind the Lens. And uh, you may remember Jamie for her uh, memorable performance as Christina Cassadine. Uh, at the hands, uh, always at the mercy of one of the wickedest villains of television, uh, Constance Towers as Helena Cassadine. So Jamie is going to join us today to talk about Altered Minds and some of the uh, hellacious turn twists and turns in that film. Also joining us today, I'm really looking forward to this, Joe Pepitone, writer, director, um, New Jersey boy who has created The Jersey Devil. Hell is no longer in hell. Hell is being moved to New Jersey. Satan is being replaced. It is hilarious. You've heard me talk about it uh, the past couple weeks. It is just, it is too funny. I mean, I've had to watch the film several times because I was laughing so hard uh, at the comedy, at Keith Collins' performance. Um, The film also stars uh, Chris Mulkey who has been a guest here on Behind the Lens, uh, as well as, who else is in that one? Oh, yes, and Jack Mulcahy. Chris Mulkey plays God, and Jack Mulcahy plays Lucifer. So we're going to talk with Joe at the half-hour mark when he joins us. But before our lovely guest call today, this has been a big weekend. Oscar nominations came out on Thursday. Some surprises, some very expected things. Now, the always anticipated brouhaha and pot stirring after the fact uh, with Jada Pinkett Smith calling for a boycott because of uh, no African-American acting nominees. Um, Spike Lee has now announced, even though he was just awarded a governor's award, he's now going to boycott. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. And at the bottom line, with every award show, with every film festival, everything should be based upon merit. It should not be about diversity. It should be based on merit. This is something I've always believed in. I always will believe in. Um, Yes, granted, I'm sure that Jada Pinkett Smith is upset because her husband, Will Smith, was not nominated for concussion. Granted, a fabulous performance and probably the best if not one of the best of Will Smith's career in concussion but the film was lacking in some areas with emotional resonance and a palpability uh, of connective tissue for the audience so I can understand when I look at the other nominees for a best best actor academy award why he's not included in that treasured five similarly in other categories but it should always be Everything should be based on merit. Who gets hired? Who gets nominated? What films get accepted into festivals? Who gets lauded? You know, with the mentality that we're seeing unfold and the arguments that are hitting us right now, um, we, you know, I want to see Jane Fonda and Helen Mirren. You know, let them boycott. Let them protest because they are both white women over the age of 70 who were not nominated. And there were no white women over the age of 70 nominated. This is how petty and this is how the arguments are becoming. Everything should be on merit and that's how everybody should approach everything uh, with the Academy Awards, with festivals, and with all of the other awards out there. Um, Unless it is specifically designed as a diversity you know, a diversity-focused event. Uh, but enough of my soapbox right now. I had a chance to talk to 
and hear from many uh, Oscar nominees on Thursday. Many of their reactions you can find up on already uh, up on my website. But I had a chance. There were some very special people that I got to talk to very early in the morning uh, after nominations were announced. The first was the delightful Phyllis Nagy. Phyllis is fast becoming a wonderful friend. Um, she is also nominated for a Spirit Award. She's nominated for a BAFTA Award for her best adaptation of a screenplay for her work with Carol. Um, she's in tight, good company and tight competition for Oscar. Drew Goddard, Joss Whedon prodigy. Drew Goddard wrote The Martian. Emma Donahue, The Wonderful Room. And if you watch the Critics' Choice Awards, last night you saw Room's adorable and charming and the cutest thing on the planet, Jacob Tremblay, win the Best Young Actor Award for, at Critics' Choice Award, uh, who is putting his trophy right next to his Millennium Falcon. Falcon. Um, Nick, Nick Hornby is also nominated for in Best Adapted Screenplay category for Brooklyn. He adapted his own book. And then Adam McKay and Charles Randolph for The Big Short. So that is a tough category. And trust me when I say, and you're going to hear the enthusiasm in Phyllis's voice, she does not take this for granted, and she is ebullient about her nomination. Hi, Phyllis. Hi, how are you? Fine. I told you at the Spirit Awards brunch your name would get called this morning. I, I, yeah, I guess you did. <laughs> how exciting is this for you, especially given the pro this particular property and your history with it? Oh God, I I could not believe it this morning when when the nominations were announced. I mean, you know, this has been a a long you know, it's been such a long road, and so over that time you prepare yourself for for it not happening. And when it did, I think I really literally got a little dizzy. I thought, what? <laughs> and it's a great feeling, and it's great that um, so many of my Carol pals um, have been recognized, too, for their brilliant work. Oh, it is. This is one of the I, I would have to call it one of the sleeper films of the year that I hope a lot of people that I know still aren't aware of the film. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and, and I hope this means that many more people, you know, will go to see it. And that that makes me happy. Oh, and I know I'm thrilled because, as you mentioned, your colleagues on this, you know, Sandy Powell. But Sandy's fighting herself because she also got a nom for Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, look at that Sandy go. <laughs> but see, you're in good company. Maybe that's some of the mojo is going to rub off on you for the future. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we can we can but dream. <laughs> now, because this was the first really big potential for a nomination, were you up, were you watching, were you listening, or did Scott or Anna Lee get to call you and roust you out of a deep slumber? Oh no, I was I was watching. I I had my cup of coffee. Um, I was rooting for, for everyone and also for some friends in other categories. So I was up watching. And, um, and after I saw the, um, you know, the picture of Carol come up in my category, I just didn't hear anything. I thought, what? <laughs> That's so great. No? Well, I sat here on the couch yelping when your name, when your name was called. Oh, wow. <laughs> and how great is it that there are so many women nominated? Oh. Um, of writing category. I mean, so many, but, you know, more than just one. That's, that's the best part. And it's, it's been a long time coming, but I think it's a testament to the backbone of the film industry that the women are the ones who are coming up with the most compelling stories that let yeah. everyone else shine. Yeah. No, it's, it's, all, it's all fantastic. Uh, so now, what will you do the rest of today? Will you let this sink in? Well, um, <laughs> I've got to. I've got about a million emails and um, phone calls to return, um, uh, and you know I have to go shopping. Life goes on. I have to go food shopping, and I think I will just take a day off from 
from work of any kind. Um, I've been working throughout this whole um, season, and uh, I think I think I'll just take the day off. So, to my knowledge, Phyllis did take the day off, but knowing her, she was back hard at it, uh, working and promoting uh, the next day. But congratulations to Phyllis. Uh, I am hoping uh, you will be hearing over the next month. I had an exclusive interview, a very detailed, in-depth interview with Phyllis on Carol. Similarly, Emma Donahue for the fab- her fabulous adaptation of Room, which garnered quite a few. It, no- it garnered a few uh, nominations. Um, so... And Carol, you heard Phyllis mention her fellow nominees. Kate Blanchett was nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role, Rooney Mara, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role, Ed Lockman for Best Cinematography, Sandy Powell for Costume Design, Original Score, and then there's Original Score. And we will be talking about Sandy Powell in the coming weeks on either February 8th or February 15th. We're going to do a whole costume show, uh, even costumes that were not nominated, such as Daniel Orlandi. Uh, who did the incredible work on Trumbo. Uh, the wonderful Susan Klassen is going to be joining us live. Susan is known for her one-woman show that travels the country, uh, and she is a dead ringer for the most prolific and award-winning costume designer in history, Edith Head. Um, so Susan will be joining us live, and we're going to be talking costume uh, on that show, and I will let you know it's either going to be February 8th or 15th, and I'm really looking forward to it uh, so that you can hear what Sandy Powell had to say about her double nomination, about the incredible mink coat that she created for Carol and other fashions, and also we'll revisit some of the things she had to say about those 10,000 Swarovski crystals on uh, Cinderella's gown in Cinderella, which is her other nomination. But very exciting for me was also a true behind-the-lens and below-the-line nomination, actually for the Formosa Group. The sound guys at Formosa Group who do sound editing, sound mixing, sound design are incredible. And this year their work is spread over multiple films. Um, Some of the guys at Formosa, including Mark Mangini, um, got... uh, uh, Oscar nomination for their work on Mad Max. They also got nominations on The Revenant. One of the a very special nomination went to Lon Bender and Martin Hernandez for sound editing for The Revenant. And I'll tell you I'll tell you an anecdote about Lon Bender, which Lon didn't know this story until Thursday when I talked to him, and uh, he laughed himself silly about it. But his brother Arthur was one of the first people I ever met when I came to California. The family owned these small little no-tell motels, and I was staying in one in Studio City, the Hi-Ho Motel, that Lon's brother Arthur was managing. And when I was ready to pack it in and leave, Arthur is the one that said, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. Uh, And 35 years later, I am still here. But in all this time, I have never had a chance to interview Lon or speak to him until his Oscar nomination on Thursday morning. And I'm looking at our sound engineer, Brian, and it looks like we have Jamie Ray Newman on the line. So we'll hold off on the clips of Lon's nomination until later in the show. We have Jamie on the line, Brian? Yes. Okay. So we're going to jump from Oscar noms, to, and we'll wait on Lon Bender. You can just wait and hear what Lon has to say. Um, and we're going to jump ahead to the fabulous Jamie Ray Newman. Hello, Jamie. Oh, hi. You know what? You're, it's hard for me to hear you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Is that better? Okay, that's a little better. Yeah. Hi. Uh, hi. Welcome. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a real treat to have you, Jamie. Uh, you know, as a lot of our fans, many of the Behind the Lens fans are also General Hospital fans, and I know they remember your fabulous performance as Christina Cassadine. It was a long time ago, but yes, if you do remember it. <laughs> ah, absolutely. And, you know, 
And I find it really interesting, some of the roles you've had over the years. You've had your one-offs, your guest appearances on things like CSI, Bones, Castle, and coming out of, you know, a run of General Hospital 12 years ago. This film, Altered Minds, seems like a perfect fit. But I have to ask you, what is, you know, what what is scarier? What's unfolding in Altered Minds or being under the thumb of Stavros and Helena Cassidyne? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, General, Ho- <laughs> General Hospital was a very, it was my very first job when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, I was, I was only out for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, no one's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> um, I, I would say, um, Judd Hirsch is damn scary. <laughs> I have never seen him as scary as he is in altered minds his performance is if i were his daughter and i was sitting there i would be i'd be shaking in my shoes <laughs> well judd is such a good guy he's uh, a mensch um he he's so lovely such a sweetheart that it was you know it was like he he was able to turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off the second the camera started rolling he was he sort of morphed into a really different person. So it was very cool to watch. It was like an education watching him work. <laughs> now, when you, first, when you shot this film, when you became involved with it, at that point it was called The Red Robin, so it's gone through with a distribution deal. You got changed to Altered Minds. But when that script first came to you, do you remember what your first impression of the film was and the role of Julie? Um... I thought it was uh, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it, there was such a cool kind of twist at the end. Um, I really wanted to work with Judd. I mean, I, I, I just think he's such a tremendous actor. He's, a, he's an icon. Um, and I was living in L.A., and I just put myself on tape. You know, my agent sent it to me. I put myself on tape. And then um, got a call saying, the director liked your audition, but he has some notes. <laughs> and literally, Michael may be... <laughs> Our director, Michael Wexler, maybe made me put myself, you know, do like four more tapes <laughs> oh with different God. versions of the scenes until finally I got the job. <laughs> so he uh, he made me jump through some hoops, but it was worth it. <laughs> you know, having seen the film, it was w- whatever hoops he made you jump through, Jamie, well worth it. Watching you and Ryan Onan is is it's like it's just it's magic. The two of you have this incredible connection and chemistry on screen. Did you have a lot of rehearsal time to develop that relationship? Or, you know, how did that come to pass? Because that's one of the most riveting things in within the film is your is that relationship between Julie and Tommy. Um, no, we had no rehearsal. We, we you know, we met, we shot it in uh, Philadelphia. We met a day or two before we started filming and I immediately I grabbed him I was like you're going to lunch with me <laughs> we need to know each other um and we just sort of threw ourselves into it well, look Ryan's an amazing actor he's since become a very very dear friend uh in fact he and my husband are writing partners um and they met I mean really if it wasn't through Altered Minds they wouldn't have met so um, I think that more than anything, um, it was like just an instant chemistry between the two of us mm-hmm. and it's lasted, it's reverberated, you know, we shot it almost four years ago. Now, has there ever been a project that you've waited this long to actually see it, <laughs> you know, come to fruition and actually be out there in the world? This takes the prize. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it just, it, it amazes me. You know, but, but you know what? Like, this is the process. I mean, you know, things stay in development for many, many years or, or things you shoot it and then it takes a long time for it to come out. I mean, it just happens. It's a very, people think that, like, a, a movie is made overnight. It's such a, it's, everything is such, it's such a snail pace. Um, so it's not surprising, you know, it's not an anomaly that something like this comes out a long time after mm-hmm. you shot it. Now, because you've done so much television, uh, you know, in established series where you have long-running roles, such as in Drop Dead Diva, Red Widow, which never should have been canceled, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Veronica Mars, Wicked City, you know, you have time to develop an arc, to develop your character. 
Now here, when you're shooting low budget, no budget films, and you're getting in and you're getting out, how difficult is it and how emotionally draining is it to put yourself into a character, especially one like Julie, with a, a character and a story that is so layered and has so much ambiguity that can take you in so many directions for possibilities? Oh, I think it's much easier to do it with a movie because with, with TV, you don't know what's going to happen from episode to episode. You know, oftentimes you're literally getting the script the day before you work. So, um, and, and, you know, many times I've thought to myself, my God, I wish I would have had episode 13 when we shot episode <laughs> three because I would have played it differently. I would have planted things differently. I would mm -hmm. have paced it differently. Um, whereas with a movie, you know, you, you get you get the whole package. So, you can prepare for it um, as, as a whole entity. Uh, and Indies are amazing because, you know, we shot in a house. Actually, the house was formerly owned, or I think it was owned by Dr. J. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm from Philly, uh, so I know this well. <laughs> okay, so, right, 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 exactly. So we, it was like camp. I mean, the, I think it was five or six of us just hold up and, you sort of forget the outside world exists and everything revolves for four weeks around making this film together. So it's a more submersive experience um, oftentimes than TV when you, you just have to kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. Now, how much fluidity did Michael have uh, with the script, with input from you and Ryan, C.S. Lee, and also, and also Joseph Taylor in terms of your character and dialogue? An interaction. What, did you have the opportunity to say, I don't think Julie would say that, or can we switch this up, or was everything? Yeah, he was very he was very open. He was very flexible. Um, you know, Ryan's a director. Uh, he's directed um, a couple movies before, so he had his thoughts about things. Um, but but Michael was a very open director. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you remember wanting to change or? that you had input into about Julie? Wow. Um, well, I think that, I think that the only thing that I can remember, cause it was a, it was a while ago now, but the, the, I remember that the scene that I auditioned with, it was, it was very expository and we shot it and we shot it a lot of different ways. And, and ultimately I'm glad that Michael didn't include it. Um, it was too, you know, audiences know when they're being talked to. Would you mm -hmm. say? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, sorry, I thought you said something. Um, audiences know when they're um, being given exposition. Um, and I didn't, I'm so glad that he removed it because we didn't need it. And the whole time we were shooting it, we were saying to Michael, like, I don't think we need this. This is too much background. The audience gets it planted subtly throughout the script. So he was very wise in taking that out. So what, is, because you do have such a diverse background and very eclectic roles from beginning to now, what, is there something that you really, that you look for that jumps up and said, that speaks to you? Because you've also done, I don't know if people know, you've also done stage and you've also done not just stage, but Neil Labute and been directed by Neil Labute and nothing by, by him is easy in the, in any sense of the word. Oh, I think Neil is, Neil's work is so easy because he, it's like, damn it, you just have to say the words and it's all right there. His dialogue flows so easily. You literally just learn your line mm -hmm. and you feel what you feel and there you have it. <laughs> he, it you know, good writers, good writing makes it easy. Um, it's hard and it's a struggle when, when the script is... Um, you know, implausible or the dialogue is sort of stiff, then it's, it's, it's a chore. But um, someone like Neil, it's, you know, that's why you go to an acting class and like every other scene is something from Neil Abute because mm -hmm. he writes for us. He writes the dialogue so we can put it in our mouth and, and chew it up and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I find that interesting because so many actor younger actresses I've talked to and they get a Neil Abute piece and they're like, there's a, there's a rhythm and I can't find it. I can't find it. And there is a definite rhythm to Neil's writing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, you know, like I said, it's like Mamet I mean, or, or Shakespeare really even, you know, it, he has his own hands of pentameter in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, 
He's a, a, a great guy, and I really loved. Uh, I did a play called Some Girls with him at the Geffen that mm-hmm. he directed, and um, I also did Fat Pig at the Geffen uh, that he was very involved with. So he's um, someone I who I, I greatly admire. I think that uh, you know I love that he's controversial, um, and you know he's got a lot to say. So, is it the script that first that appeals to you? when something comes across your desk or your agent hands it to you, or do you take, actually, do you take a look? Some people, it's like if a, if a certain director wants you to do something, they jump in and do it. Um, you mean, is it director driven or script driven? Yeah. Um, I think it's the whole package. It's the whole package. I mean, oftentimes I'll audition for things or I'll, I'll read scripts for things and I don't know the people involved. Um, you know, you, you, you look them up online and, and you sort of inquire, but I mean, many times it's a first timer, first time director. I think mm-hmm. that that's a gamble. That's always a risk, but that can also pay off, you know, in spades. Uh, so I think it's really the whole package, mm-hmm. but, but it starts with the script. If the script isn't engaging, there's really nothing an actor or a director can do to elevate it. The script has got to be good. Um, otherwise, it's like the foundation of the house is weak. Mm-hmm. What is it about Michael's writing that you that has the biggest appeal for you? Um, I think that Michael is very curious about you know human impulses and why people in, in secrets why people do what they do. Um, I think that he he's. You know, he likes very, you know, to go very, very dark and very deep, mm-hmm. uh, which was really, it was really fun. And he's not afraid. Like you can throw anything at him, and he's he never says no outright. He really mulls it over, um, and it and is very collaborative. So, what do you have coming up next? I know you wrapped on a Christmas movie. We'll see this year at Christmas. I think New York. Uh, New no, York, no. <laughs> When will we see it? Oh, oh, right. I did a little indie. It's so funny. It was it was called Modern Love when I when I shot it, and then I just saw that they renamed it like a New York Christmas. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, I don't know when that's coming out. I I just, well, I was on a show called Wicked City that got canceled mm-hmm. um, on ABC, and then I shot a pilot um, for Bravo called True Fiction. Um, I just shot that in Atlanta. So we're, we're, I'm waiting to find out if that gets picked up uh, in March. Ooh. And now I'm doing, I'm back and forth to Vancouver. I'm doing the next season of Bates Motel. <laughs> I don't know if you know that show. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, on A&E. So I'm doing their fourth season with them. So that's been a lot of fun. I started a couple weeks ago. And then my husband and I, um, uh, my husband is a director. He wrote a, a really wonderful script um, about, based on a true story. We got life rights to this kind of crazy story about four years ago, and we're starting casting it. So that's sort of the big thing in our lives right now. It's called, the, the movie's called Skin. So and will fingers you, crossed that that, <laughs> that, that, you know, is made soon. <laughs> and will you be starring in that film? I'm going to be in it. The lead is a guy. Um, it's, it's about a very famous skinhead Mm-hmm. Um, there was a documentary about him a couple years ago on MSNBC uh, called Erasing Hate, a, a guy who's oh, covered okay. in tattoos. His whole face is covered in, in neo-Nazi tattoos, and uh, he cuts a deal with the feds and gets them all removed. And it's it's a really amazing story. Um, and so we're, we're finding our guy right now. We're in the process of that. Oh, my God. You are you are one busy, busy lady. <laughs> Um, well, I really, I really feel that you have to make your own projects because this business is very fickle, um, and it's hard to just, you know, what do they say? The, uh, a watched phone never rings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to make your own, uh, you know, <laughs> opportunities. Well, Otherwise, that phone don't ring. <laughs> well, anybody that's smart is gonna ha- is gonna keep your phone ringing. I mean, oh, once again, I mean, I've enjoyed your work so much of it when I've seen you in various, you know, TV performances, you know, the series, even when you just do a one, you know, just a one guest appearance and the range that you bring to your characters, absolutely fabulous. And to see your growth as an actress since those days on General Hospital, 
Um, <laughs> it's you know it's wonderful, and I hope you will come. You will you know join us again when you have another project that's you know bubbling. I would love that. Maybe oh. after Bates Motel starts to air, we'll we'll uh, talk about that. It's a great show, and the next season is really really good. It's an amazing show. An amazing show. Jamie, thank you so much. In the meantime, everyone can see you in Altered Minds. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jamie. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Jamie Ray Newman talking Altered Minds, from General Hospital to Altered Minds. And now we're going to go... We're going to go to another Altered Mind here. I got Joe Pepitone on the phone. Hi, Debbie. How you doing? I'm fine, Joe. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Altered Mind. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually quite a good movie. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, I I got a Jersey Devil is just, as I have said the past few weeks, it's like I have watched this several times because I'm laughing so hard I'm missing part of the dialogue. Well, that's what you're going for. There's a lot of jokes that... uh, or right after one another. And, and when, when we screened it, we've had that effect where I'm sitting there like, no, no, you're missing the next one. The next one's better. But uh, I do appreciate all the, all the things you've been saying about us. It's been great. I mean, it's, it is just, and as, as I said, you, you know, emailed you before or messaged you, it's anybody from the tri-state area, anybody from New York, New Jersey, Philly, South, southeastern Philly, is going to appreciate this film that much more because of all the regional humor. I mean, you've got no holds barred. You take shots at everyone and everything, and it is just fabulous. Where did you get this idea to move hell to New Jersey? (laughs) Well, I live here, so that's a start. Yeah, you know, and I've been there, you know, house down in South Jersey, down in Forked River, so. Oh, okay, yeah, I know the area well. So, yeah. uh, the idea, well, my first movie, Stuck in the Middle, took place in uh, Purgatory. So I, I had this theme going with the afterlife, and I wanted to do something <laughs> with hell. And I always loved the, the Jersey Devil name and the myth around the Jersey Devil, even though this film has nothing to do with that particular character. Mm-hmm. But I said, this, this would be great. Everyone considers Jersey hell anyway. It, always, it has that bad reputation around the whole country. I said, it'd be fun. I mean, people call it hell anyway, so let's... Uh, Let's just put it there and, and, and make some jokes uh, at expense. I mean, I love living here, but, I mean, I know, the, I know the reputation, so it was fun to play around with that. Well, you know, and I think a, lo- a lot of people appreciated the reputation and the humor even more with Miss Congeniality some years ago, and Sandra Bullock had the line about, yeah, Miss New Jersey, the petrochemical capital of the world. <laughs> exactly. Um, and anybody that's been to certain parts of Jersey, they're going to understand that, and they're going yes. to nod their head in agreement. Uh, <laughs> But this, this is, you actually have Satan, as he's called Lucifer here, stepping down. Nobody has ever had the idea to have Satan stepping down. From well, he, he's not so much stepping down as he's kind of forced because of term limits that were placed on him many years ago. So he kind of uh, uh, is kicking and screaming on the way out the door, uh, which Jack Mulcahy plays to perfection. Oh, uh, I mean, to have... Chris Mulkey as God and Jack Mulcahy <laughs> as Lucifer. You couldn't have two more perfect, you know, flip-flops of a coin. They, they were great and terrific to work with. And, and we got a very young cast, so it was, it was great having those two veteran actors who've been around and been in bigger movies. So it was definitely helpful, too. Well, you've got Keith Collins stepping in as James Burnett, the heir apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you've worked with... You work with Keith on other projects, too. So you and Keith are not strangers. No, no, I've worked with Keith. He was, uh, uh, we worked on our first movie, Stuck in the Middle, and we've done uh, some collaborations together. We've produced some movies together, and I've written a bunch of stuff that Keith stars in. So uh, I know Keith well, and I know how to write for him. So he was perfect for this. Uh, he's kind of the straight man, in it, and I think mm-hmm. Keith works perfectly with it. Now, because he has, because I know he was in Gravedigger and he was in Meat Puppet, um, when you sat down to write the Jersey Devil, did you write knowing that you would be casting Keith as James Burnett? Yes, uh, mo- most of the cast that I had worked with before, I wrote parts for them, just knowing, having having some uh, a background with them. I'm saying, oh, this would be perfect for Jack. This would be perfect for Keith. So yeah, I definitely did their voice and having worked with them and knowing them, it, w- it was a lot easier um, to to put them in these roles and say, oh, this is perfect for Jack. This is perfect for Keith. Well, somebody else is rather perfect is Edwin Ortega. Edvin, uh, there's a, 
What's so amazing about Edvin, he was hired two days before we started shooting. We lost the character, that, uh, the actor that we had for that role, and we scrambled. And, and Keith had worked with Edvin before, and I'm like, uh, you think he's good? And he was like, Keith, Edvin's great. And he was terrific. He had to work every day straight. He learned the script really quick. Wow. And he did an amazing job, enough to win a Best Supporting Actor award at a festival. So, was it, it was, yeah, Ed Vins, I have nothing but good things to say about him. He's he's great. That was that was at the Atlantic City Festival, was it not? Atlantic City Cinefest, yes. Okay. I mean, hey, if you're going to show in a fest, you show in the home, you show in hometown. We we went from Jersey City to Atlantic City, and we we hit all points in between Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so now you you co-write with your brother Billy. Mm-hmm. What does your write? How do the two of you process this? I know, you know, anytime there are co-writers, everybody has different styles. Some like sitting across from each other. Some like being in the same room. Others, they just email stuff back and forth, and they ne- never shall the twains meet. So, what is what's the process for you and Billy? That last category is 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 us. We write at different times, and he he's up early in the morning, so he'll write a, he'll write some section, and then I'm up late at night, so I'll get that and. Uh, move forward from where where he left off so we we got a good we both uh pretty much share, share the same brain so it's easy for us to write we can just pick up where the other one left off uh it's a great collaboration with him because we know what we're doing together and and he for this one it was it was the comedy was mostly me uh, for jersey devil he writes some some great drama stuff which which will be our next film so it's what I can't write, what I'm not good at, he's definitely great at. And it's, much, it's so easy to bounce things back and forth with us. It's it's fun collaboration. Well, you were actually doing stand-up years ago when you were in college. Wow, how did you find that out? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I'm, I'm old and wise and well-preserved, Joe. You are good. <laughs> That's years ago. Yes, I did, I did some stand-up uh, in college and then uh, for a few years after that until I decided that it's much easier to have to write it and let someone else perform it. <laughs> so now once you get the script for something like The Jersey Devil done, that it is so heavy on, on comedic beats and timing, you have to, how do you go about breaking it down for filming? I know you're working with your, uh, Corey Green, who's been your cinematographer before. Has he not? He, uh, this was the first movie we worked one. on together, and then we just shot one called Clean Cut. We just finished up. Okay, that, so you that, finished that. And one. he is now my uh, he's my DP going forward. He's he's really helps me out a lot. So how do you sit down and decide how to visualize hell in Jersey City? We did a we definitely found the places. Our producers who are big in Jersey City, uh, Michael, Billy, and Yarl, found us all the locations. And I walked around there with with Corey, and it was the first time we really met, so. I wasn't sure what he was thinking, and I just went to him. I said, "Listen, I- I'm all about the performances and what the what I wrote, and these guys getting it right visually. I leave that in charge of you, charge for you. You can just take it, tell me what you're thinking, and I will I will go with it." And he's so he's so visual and has just he's thinking three steps ahead. So it was much easier to just go into the location. He says, "I want to do this here, this here. We'll make this the new hell," and I just followed his lead because he's so good at that and has a great eye and said, and has a lot of experience. So I like to back off a little bit visually because I'm, I'm not I'm concentrating on the performances so Corey was a great collaborator on that and then I just let him take the lead now you make great use of color in here you've got reds you've got greens and then oh lucky for you you got to shoot during blizzards in New Jersey <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was tough yes <laughs> so was color important to you in designing uh, the the look of the Jersey Devil yeah, that was that was one of our first conversations. He had an idea of what hell, what old hell should look like, and what new hell. And we wanted to definitely, when we moved to the new hell, make it more vibrant, make the colors still keep it that darkness of hell, but mm-hmm. definitely brighten it up. So when we shot the old hell stuff, we wanted to make it a little depressing, a little little uh, laxed in in ways. And then we went to new hell. We we found the better places that had those colors that jumped out. So that was definitely on our mind when we had our first conversation. I got to tell you, the first thing I thought of looking at old hell were some of the really old, dark, dank old men bars in New Jersey and Philly that are all yes. like that, like are all that just dot everywhere. You know, you're driving down a country road through Bamber Lake or Fort Dix, and there's this dark, dank, dark wood, and it looks like it hasn't been cleaned or smells like it hasn't been cleaned either for about fifty years. And uh, and the, the the snowstorms and the weather definitely gave us that depressing atmosphere when you when you look out the windows and when we shot outside. So it definitely 
helped in in the look of the film, but did not help in uh, <laughs> making it easy for us. So now, so now, tell me, tell me about how the weather impacts because so many people they plan out a film, so many directors, and especially first time directors, and they don't think about Mother Nature and what she's going to do to you. And as you found out, it can help you, but it also it can be a great hindrance and create some obstacles for you. Yeah, we were tracking that storm for a while, and everybody kept telling me, it's, it's going to hit, it's going to hit. And I'm like, no, it's not going to hit. Please don't stress me out with this. And it hit, and it hit hard. We got two, actually, in the week. And the schedule we had, we had ten straight days. That, that was the plan. Everybody was working on a tight schedule, long days. So by getting hit with that, there was, we lost a day. It would be like, well, we're, we're in trouble now. We've got to find another day. We lose some money. So during one of the, the blizzards, Everybody got there. Everybody, the path train was down in New Jersey. They walked like a mile through this to get there. Um, they weren't happy, but they made it. They gave the great performance, and, and we didn't lose. I think we lost one day, and were able to make it up on the back end. Uh, but wow. it was hard, and then just uh, just a shout-out to every but crew and cast, because not only did they make it, they brought their A game <laughs> that day, too. They weren't, they weren't angry. They weren't uh, like, why are we doing this? They just were there to work, and they were all behind the project, so... We got lucky because we got hit, I think it was like 12, 14 inches of snow. Yeah, I mean, because what year did you shoot this? This was in February of 2014, yeah. so it was a week right when we got, I think, beginning of the week and the end of the week, and it just kept hitting us. And mm -hmm. We were lucky enough to have some hotels nearby, and, and it just worked out. It worked out. It was just meant to be. But, you know, then with all of that, with hotels and, and a, even a one-day delay, what does that do to you from a budgetary standpoint? It, it hurts if if we've paid for the location, we we would lo we would have lost that. Actors had their schedule and they were moving on to other things. So if we had to reschedule, it would have been tough. Luckily, everybody w was free. And again, having the Michael, Billy, and Yarl be part of Jersey City, everybody was real lenient with us and and were accommodating if we had to do another day. So it would have it would have hit if we lost another day, but it, it, it worked out fine. Mm -hmm. Now the editing is so is always so crucial in a film, especially in a comedy because you've got to hit those beats when you're when you're cutting how challenging was was the editing uh you were working with anthony trombetta and what and, yeah anthony started off with the editing process and we were moving along and um Corey green again jumped in he he <laughs> he jumped in at the end and he said i want to i want to make some changes this is what i shot he's not getting exactly what i what i want in there and and we had our premiere scheduled one night and Corey wor worked literally worked up to the final hours and showed up at the at the theater with the DVD and we were like worried it was not going to happen. We had four or five hundred people there that night and then and we were sitting there like I don't think he's gonna make it. What do we do? Oh. And he was able to just work down to the minute and then he after that premiere he continued to work on the film. So Corey definitely jumped in and and re edited the film and, and did a great job of uh making it a lot better because he knew what he shot and, and he wanted all that in there. Mm -hmm. So you did you, because some editors and director, directors want to do, like get some rough cuts while you're still shooting. Did you do any of that or did you just get it all done and then, and then worry about the editing? We worried about the editing at the end because we were shooting very quickly and, and long days and we said, let's just shoot these days, get everything mm -hmm. in and then attack it from, from there afterwards. I would prefer shooting and editing uh, but this was not the case for this this film. We were just schedule was too tight to do that. But uh, we did everything on the back end, and then when Corey came in a couple months later and took it over. Mm -hmm. So you're finding a great balance here between writing and directing. Do you have a preference? Do you prefer writing? Do you prefer directing? Do you want to? Would you want to be directing other people's works, or you want to stay with your own? What's that whole balancing act like for you? I, I'm a writer first. I love writing. I love writing with my brother. I think that's what we're best at. Uh, directing, I, I look at myself more as a protector than a director. I like to, if it's my stuff, I've had a couple things where my stuff we wrote was directed by other people, and I, I don't like the way it turned out. So mm -hmm. for Jersey Devil, I, I was going to direct it and uh, see, how that, see how it came out. And it, anything I've directed my own stuff has definitely I've liked better. Uh, so I not don't consider myself so much a director as I am a writer, but I do like to be in control of control of the stuff we've written. So, <laughs> so I try to direct as much as I can. If the project seems like it's going to be out of my league, I'll definitely be able to turn it over to someone someone else. Mm -hmm. Come hell or snowstorm, you're going to get what you want. 
Exactly. Exactly. I just when when you see something that you wrote that does not turn out the way you wanted it, it, it that that kills me. That kills me inside. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of direct a lot of writer directors, and they've written stuff and they turn it over, and it's it, heartbreaking experiences for them. Even you know, longtime veteran screenwriters, and uh, you always feel so badly for them because when they talk about what the vision was and what somebody else did to that vision, you have to sit there and wonder. What, where would that disconnect come from? Because exactly. It's tough because everybody has their vision, and, and you know where, where you started this from when you write it, and then when someone else comes in and says, no, I think it should go this way, it's tough to, tough to swallow. So I, I try to control every, as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the greatest gift that filmmaking gives to you? Because you really are, you're a filmmaker. You're a storyteller. You write. You direct. You know, you have great instincts on casting, very clearly great instincts on casting. What is the greatest gift that that, that filmmaking gives you? I just love how, how something can just out of nothing start out of nothing and just you can create anything you want. Like I, I've I put hell in New Jersey and it was just you can do anything you want with a blank piece of paper and that that's what I love so much. And I love when it's hand I write something and I hand it over to these terrific actors and, and watch them like, oh, I wrote something that's pretty good. Now I see them perform and I'm like, wow, that's really good. And, and that's why when you work with the Jack Mulcahy, Keith Collins, uh, Penelope Lagos is the actress I've used a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just fun to watch them and I love writing for them and then watching them take these, take these words and, and create it themselves. It's really, it's, it's just so enjoyable seeing it. Now, do you, do, would you want to stick yourself into the mix and then direct yourself? Act, you mean? Yes. No, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I mean, I've written characters that were me. I've paid for the movies myself, but I've had no desire to be in front of that camera. It would just be a mistake. It would take away from someone who's an actual actor and studied, and it would make my product a lot worse if it was me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, know where I, I know where I belong. <laughs> so now, as you know, because this, this is what I call, you know, lovingly call low-budget, no-budget filmmaking, you don't have a studio behind you. This is indie filmmaking, at it, you know, at its best. How, what kind of, what is the the angst level, the anxiety level, as you're doing this in terms of getting the money to finance it? But then once it's done, you've got the festival circuit. But ultimately, you do want a distribution deal. The hardest parts uh, of the films are beginning getting the money and getting the distribution. Making the film as tough as it is is so is fun. I like it. It's where I'm comfortable. But getting investors involved and then afterwards tracking down distribution, those are, are tough, frustrating times. And that's the part of I don't like the business end of this. And they've been a struggle for each film. We were lucky enough to get some great investors at the at the beginning here and they they worked worked on the movie twos and then distribution we got lucky with chamois media group to put it out but i i've i've knocked on doors and and that's not my specialty so it's it's the toughest part is the beginning and the end yeah that's always that's always the hard part with me for everything too it's it's i think it's the east coast mentality yes it's you know it's you you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you do it yourself and you figure it out without having to go big, borrow, and steal. Exactly, exactly. And I don't like, I don't like going to people and say, hey, here's 100 pages of words. Give me money for it. It's, it's <laughs> tough to uh, explain to them what, what I'm trying to do and then them not seeing the whole big picture. It, but, we got, uh, the, again, the people who, who, who had faith in us were great. So I, I, I commend them for that, <laughs> to take a chance on us. <laughs> Hey, I would take a chance on you with anything. I mean, oh, thank you, I, thank I, you. I really, I mean, I love your work, Joe. Now, I, and I'm curious to know what what was your learning curve on this one? You had a few films under your belt, directing and writing, and everybody learns something. There's always a learning curve, and then everybody learns something whenever you embark on a project. As you sit back and you look and reflect on Jersey Devil, what did you learn about yourself? I definitely, from film to film, uh, want, want to go into the next one. and not. I'm going to make mistakes in every film, but I don't want to make the same ones. So we didn't make the same mistakes in Jersey Devil, but we made a few more. So I definitely learned on this one, because I had a bigger crew than the last one, mm-hmm. let people do their jobs. Let the director direct, actors act, producers produce. And if everybody's doing their own job, it definitely made this so much easier. Instead of 
people, everybody chiming in on one subject. Let me do what I got to do. You do what you have to do. So that that was the best thing to do. And and for me to be able to let go on certain areas and have people who are smarter than me <laughs> do it, it definitely makes it easier, makes it better. Everyone gets credit. And it works out well, and then it's a great product that everybody can be proud of. So if I can lose a little control in areas I'm not great at, mm-hmm. then it's much better. So where can people now find the Jersey Devil to see it? Jersey Devil, again, was distributed by Shammy Media. It is currently a, everywhere. It's, um, it's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Best Buy, Barnes & Noble's, FYE. It's in all the stores. Uh, Amazon definitely can get it. And we're looking... Hopefully in the next month to get it on Amazon Video, so you can stream it. And we're we're looking at a lot more outlets. So Shami is working very hard to get it out there. We've got a great response uh, from it. So so it'll be out there in, in more places. But right now, definitely Amazon. You can you can get it. Definitely leave a review there. That'll help us out a lot. But uh, it's uh, it's selling well. So we're we're happy that, that it's out in many places as it is. Oh well, I'm thrilled because I just I just. I just laugh my ass off every time I see this movie. <laughs> That's so great. Well, what was your favorite part? In- oh, my favorite part. I don't know. It might be Chris Mulkey coming down from heaven and and you see the relationship between God and Lucifer. <laughs> that They are great together. They are. <laughs> and the way that you and Corey lends that, you've got some really good dutching going on there to make Chris look larger than life and very good and godlike um so i love that and then the balance of having him wearing like the sweater and the golf shirt yes it was hilarious (laughs) that was a if you saw us stuck in the middle we had a character play jesus in it and he was a big golfer who dressed dressed well so we thought I don't know how many people have seen that one going into this one, but we still wanted to make it. You know what? God's a golfer, too, just like his son. So we kind of <laughs> kind of blended in whoever got that guy. But still, we wanted to make it a casual God. He's cool. He's, he's uh, very aloof. That, that, and Chris played him. Chris was the perfect guy for that. So it was, uh, that scene was fun. to shoot. It was a long day. That was a blizzard day. But we shot crazy 18 pages we did that day to get that whole ending done. Oh, God. And it was insane, but it was so good, and Chris was, was a big help. He was just work talking to the crew and making everybody feel comfortable. So fun day to shoot, long day to shoot, and I think the scene turned out uh, exactly what we were thinking. I mean, I really, because you've got a great twist, and we're not going to say what the twist is so that <laughs> it doesn't spoil it for people, but a really great twist that fits with, the pri- you know, the pri- the story as it's been leading up, and the jokes and the humor, and I just that that just killed me to to find out what's really going on with these two. Yes, it was it was just fabulous. But then you know you've also got when you're bringing all the new recruits to hell, and you've got David Chokichi um, as the sheriff who steps in there. Yes, that was extremely entertaining as well. David was fun. That that scene that my brother wrote that scene, he would he had just gotten into Walking Dead and he just wanted he just took that scene over. And I was a little late to the game in the Walking Dead, so I wasn't like, Okay, if you think this is funny <laughs> but now that I'm a fan of the show, I'm like, Well, this is this is really funny it, what he did with it. it really and is. uh David was fun to work with. Oh. Uh, well Joe, I can't thank you enough for calling in today. I this has been just an absolute treat and a delight. I hope you will call back again. Oh, definitely. I, I, I have to thank you so much for being such a supporter of the film and liking it as much as you did. I, re- I really appreciate that. It's really, really helping us. Oh, well, anything I can do for it. You know, if it sucked, I would tell you it sucked. <laughs> well, it probably wouldn't be on if you thought that, so this is, this is good. <laughs> no, no. Seriously, you still would be on because I, the, I, will all, I pride myself in being able to always find some gem, some nugget in there. But what I never overlook is how hard the entire crew and everybody works on a film. And even if it's bad or it has problems, they still worked hard. And there's always a reason for why things were done. And filmmakers should be allowed to explain that. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Because when, when I look at the films that I don't think turned out well, and I just want to tell them, no, this is, this is what was supposed to happen. But yeah, a lot, so many people work hard on these films, and, and just to say, "Oh, that movie sucked," is like, "Well, no, well, 
a lot of people worked hard, and there's reasons behind behind everything. But no, I thank you again for loving it. Oh, <laughs> that I like to hear. My pleasure, Joe, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much. I'll be in touch. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Joe Pepitone, writer, director of The Jersey Devil. And as you heard Joe say, you can find it at Amazon right now. Barnes & Noble. It's actually it's actually in like a DVD form. You can go buy it or you can just get it online. So trust me, you will laugh. You will laugh yourself silly at the Jersey Devil. We're going to take a very quick break and then come back to wrap up the show since Joe and I were talking for so long. So we'll be right back. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias. Um, if you've been listening today, and welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias. Um, if you've been listening today, Jamie Ray Newman talking Altered Minds, Joe Pepitone talking the Jersey Devil. Right now, we're going to get back very briefly. Started talking about Lon Bender, Academy Award nominee for sound editing for The Revenant. Uh, so this was what Lon had to say when I spoke with him early Thursday morning about sound within The Revenant. Well, you know, it was very important to Alejandro that we create the natural world within which the characters could act the story and the wonderful, you know, adventure that they were going on. And it was important to him to make that one of the priorities from the very beginning. So that way, oh, it's the terms here. So that way, they had a chance to assess what was going on in the film. Um, because before we were able to create that world with just the natural components that make up, uh, you know, a harsh natural environment, like the snowy world that the movie took place in, they didn't feel like they could rely on the production tracks to understand even the structure of the movie. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, a huge part of it was building this world so that way Stephen Marioni and Alejandro together could actually see the movie and feel the movie and feel like they were in the place. Mm-hmm. Because Alejandro is a very uh, feeling-oriented director and he needs to be in the place to get a sense of what's going on with his actors mm-hmm. and with the story. And um, aside from all the, you know, the ambiences and the details related to the winds, which were huge, and the birds and all, we also uh, spent an entire week in Colorado uh, with a Foley artist named Katie Rose recording uh, the Foley out in the wilderness. We loaded the whole film onto iPads and iPhones. So we had a picture, and we recorded in probably 10 locations above 10,000 feet in order to have an exterior natural feel to, um, to all the movement in the entire movie, knowing that, you know, the two hours of the movie, these guys are walking around in snow. Mm-hmm. So I recognized early on how important that component was because it was a throughput for the entire film, and um, it was one of many recording uh, trips we did on this particular film. So, we'll be back next week. We're going to have more Altered Minds. Michael Wexler, writer-director, is going to be here. Joseph Lyle Taylor, and more from our Oscar nominees.